0: has a way of just speaking and i, I like that. So we know in uh first john chapter 1 and 2 um john told us uh how to experience the light of god in our lives and then we we're moving here into chapter 3 uh john begins to call us to experience the love of god. How many want to experience the love of god? Amen. And uh and to kind of break this chapter down verses 1 through 9 he talks about how the love of God and how it is pure amen and uh, and then chapter or verses 10 through 24 he speaks about how the love of God is practical and so um, and and then in chapter 4 we'll get uh, we'll talk about how his love is perfect so we kind of break that down how many know that God's love is pure God's love is practical and God's love is perfect amen and I'm grateful for that so let's look let's dive in here uh, uh, chapter 3 starts like this, I love this beginning, I really love this beginning um, See what kind of love the Father has given to us That we should be called the children of God and so we are And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him So um, John said it like this in the in the Gospel of John in In chapter 1 verse 12 he said it like this But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you realize that when you came to know Jesus Christ, when you became a believer, you were adopted in by the Lord? Amen? All right. Uh, Do you know that you are adopted into the same promises that God gave Abraham? The same promises to those guys in the Old Testament. You, uh, God has also adopted us, and 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 how many know when you're adopted, you're part of the family. All right, you're part of the family. You you are there, and so um, I, I love this, and so John understands, um, and I like this because John he understands uh, in amazement God's love. He's He's always like, he always says, I, you know, I'm John, the one whom he loved. And I think he says that in a very humble way. I don't think it's a very proud way. I think he's just blown away that God would love him. How many are blown away that God just loves you? I am. I am every day. Uh, you know, some, some of the things that I, uh, you know, say or do, and I think, man, why does the Lord love me sometimes? And how, how does he love me? And I'm amazed by that, that, that he would even call us Humans. And believe, uh, that believe on him and repent his children. Think about that. He calls you his child. If you are, uh, he calls you his son. He calls you his daughter. Do you know what that means? That that, that There's some power in that. And that verse, it speaks of sonship to the Lord. And I wish I had a lot more time to break that down. I'll, t- I'll, I'll touch a little bit on that. But there's a lot into that, okay? Once you understand who you are in Christ, you'll know what it means to have sonship with the Lord. So. Uh, Paul develops, he goes a little uh, further, he develops the idea of sonship when he writes the doctrine of adoption. How many remember that in, in the book of Ephesians, okay? And, and in the book of Romans, he talks about that. So the Greek word for adoption in the New Testament is a very interesting one. And uh, it's called, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this, huothesia. And, and that first word is huoi, or H-E-U-I-O-S, and that means son. Everyone say son. And thesis is the the backside of that. It says thesia in the actual word, but thesis is the, the base of that word, and it's position. So let me let me let me spell that out for you. Everyone say position. So, or position of a son or a daughter. God has positioned you somewhere that maybe you don't feel like you don't deserve, but God has called you to the table. All right? So Jesus Christ, you know, it's interesting. He took our position on the cross, right? The wages of sin is what? It's what I deserve. It's what I, because I, I am a sinner. Jesus lived a, a blameless life, a perfect life, but he took my place on the cross, and, and it's interesting, so that we could be adopted and called the sons and daughters of the king. Amen? Think about that for a minute. I want you to think about that for a minute, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 8 verse 9 says this for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he what he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich and uh, so that was all for you I heard this story and I, I think this is uh, I believe this is a true story I don't know if it is but I it's fitting to this it, it kind of describes this there were two brothers who wanted to play little league and as they signed up the registrar at the uh, little League uh, desk there was puzzled when according to their papers he noticed that these brothers were six months apart and he thought man there's no way that these guys are really brothers and uh, he noticed that and he asked hey are, are you guys brothers and they said yes sir we are and he said but you're only six months apart and the registrar uh, he asked puzzled and one of the and and one of the boys looked at him and said well one of us was adopted uh, and 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 Which, uh, which one asked the registrar? And which he said we ask our dad all the time, but he can't remember. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with us because of the price that Jesus paid. When Jesus, when God looks at us, He looks at us as His sons and daughter because of Jesus' blood. Amen. Man, that is a beautiful picture of the of sonship for us. If you look at John chapter seventeen verse twenty three. It says, uh, I in them and you in me, that this is Jesus speaking, I in them and you in me, he's talking to the Father, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So the word as in, in John seventeen twenty three, means this to the same degree. In other words, Jesus says, the Father loves me, his His adopted uh, uh, he and he loves you okay everyone say hey i am his adopted son or daughter and to the same degree he loves me to the same degree that he loves jesus his only begotten son i don't know when i think about that that's amazing that's amazing that's amazing to us and some of us have you know some of us struggle with that you know god loves you so much he loves you so much and so that shows you the degree to how much God truly loves you. Look at this. Verse 2 says this. Beloved, we are God's children, and, and what will we be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall what? Be like who? Be like who? All right. Because we shall see him as he is. So um, here's the thing. You know, I can talk about the love of God and how much God loves you, but you know, and and if you if you understand that, that ought to get you fired up, because you realize that you're where God positions you. All right, but look at this: we don't always act like that we are the children of God, right? We don't always look like that we are the sons and the daughters of God, right? There's time, but John John says this: when he appears, guess what? We shall be like him Um, you say hey pastor do you like that and i say this i should because i like jesus okay let me ask you this how many want to be like jesus then you should be excited about that right after all you know jesus is the man that everyone desires to be like right Everyone says, hey, I want to be like Jesus. Lord, help me to be like you. Let me give you some examples of how Jesus was. Jesus was so gentle that children flocked to him is what Matthew 19, 14 says. Remember the disciples were trying to move the kids out, and he says, hey, suffer the little children. Let them come unto me. Hey, they, they can come. So look at this. Look, the next one is this. He was so commanding. Uh, was, it was, there was so much command in him that he looked at an angry cat crowd that wanted to kill him and they were upset and he looked at them and walked right through them and they split and he went on his way how we know that there's a lot of command in that when you can do that you don't have to say a word your look you could just move people with your looks right he was uh he had so much authority and and so much authority is in him that uh the fierce storm would be quieted simply by his words think about that that's amazing he yet he was so tender and still uh, he stilled the storm of criticism that swirled around the adulterous woman. You remember that story, right? They wanted to kill her. And he calmed that storm just by his tender words and actions. He was so embracing that sinners called him their friend. He is a friend of sinners. He loves us. Yet so righteous that his blood could wash away the entire sin of the world, which we learned about last week in First John chapter 2, verse 2. I don't know about you, but when I think about who Jesus is, I say, yeah, I want to be like that. I may not understand it on this side of, of, of where we're at. You know, Jesus was a perfect man, and he's everything all of us want to be. And this is interesting, the more that you read the Gospels, and here's the thing. When you read the Gospels, slow down. Most of us read because, hey, I need to read my chapter a day and move on. Slow down and read the Bible. I mean, just slow down and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Take a, take a, it doesn't take that much longer if you slow down and let it just rest in your heart. But the more that you read the Gospels and, and you slow down and read, read them, you'll realize and, and appreciate uh, who, uh, who the Lord's personality, Jesus' personality and his character and his integrity and his wisdom and his strength. How many, how many are grateful for the Lord's wisdom? How many are are grateful for the Lord's strength? And how many want your character to match what Jesus is? All right. So that's something worth emulating and and being like, um, before I understood and and knew how much uh, I know of him, okay, just previous to, uh, you know, reading the scripture and studying who Jesus was, you know, uh, honestly, I was raised in church but you know we i hear people talk about Jesus and all the all these things and i knew all the stories i knew all that but when i began to read in scripture i became more and more impressed by who Jesus was it's crazy because usually what happens how many have ever um when we meet people we like people up front then the more you get to know them you start to dislike them a little bit right right that's you learn things about people and you're like, oh, you know, I thought they were different than that. And then you kind of like get away from them. I don't know about you, I am, and, and I can relate to this. I've met some pastors um, that I've seen uh, that I thought were, you know, you think you know someone. You really do think you know someone, but you can watch someone on a TV screen and be like, man, I bet you that is a nice pastor. And you see these guys preaching sometimes. On stages and whatnot. And I've met some of them that have been on TV and all over the internet. And I thought they would be nice. But personally, they were not the same person up here that they are out in the hallway. And, and so, um, but Jesus, on the other hand, the more you know him, the more you study him, the more that you love him, he gets better and better. And better, and you realize the more that you know Him, He has no flaws or cracks or anything. He is perfect, and I'm impressed by that. I I love that. Even though I know that we can only see Him through a glass darkly, is what First Corinthians tells us. Right here in this life, we can see Him. You know, we know what the Word says about Him. But one day when He comes, we're going to see Him, and everything. We're it's going to. Hey, we know who He is. Um, And I like that. So look at this. Verse 3 says this. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So everyone who walks with the expectation of the Lord's coming, they carry this hope of Jesus. You know what my hope is? Going to Guatemala, carry the hope of Jesus to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That's That's my hope. You know what my hope is when I go to the store here in Bedford? To carry the hope of Jesus to somebody that doesn't know Jesus. You know what my hope is? Everywhere I go. To spread the hope of Jesus somehow some way and, and and here's what happens. The, when we have an expectation of the Lord, we, 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 we begin to hope in Him and we will walk with a greater degree of purity in our lives because hey, we are expecting Jesus to come, right? All right. We're talking him coming, you know, in the in what Thessalonians t- says, the taking away or the rapture. OK, yeah, I know the rapture is not in the Bible. It doesn't that word is not in the Bible, but the event is. And so, you know, here's the thing, you know, there may be people in here that are that are pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. I'm not here to argue those points with you, but I'll tell you. Uh, well, never mind. I'm not even going to say that. But but I will tell you this, Jesus words concerning the end times was to point us uh, uh living each and every day looking for his coming. You know what will change your perspective? To love on people, to be a greater witness, thinking that tomorrow that the Lord may come and that people need to know Jesus. There will be an urgency in your heart and in your life. And everything that we think is so important here on this earth will not matter, you know, once Jesus comes. Amen. Well, you may say this, uh, you know, uh, how many remember Billy Graham? All right, Billy Graham, that great minister, and, and I mean, I, I don't even know, I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine the amount of people that were saved underneath his ministry, the years of, of him going from stadium to stadium all across this world, and people coming to know Christ, and his message was simply just salvation, and, and he was very, very good at leading that, and God did a great thing, and, um, and you know, Billy Graham, he talked about the coming of the Lord, but it's interesting, the Lord didn't come in his lifetime, right? Right? He didn't come in his lifetime. So think about this. So, and there's this other pastor. Anybody ever heard of, of D.L. Moody? All right. I knew a few of you have heard of him, right? And uh, anybody ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Okay. These, uh, these are our ministers. And these were great preachers. And they always preached the coming of the Lord. They always talked about the coming of the Lord. And they they said, you know, we believe that the Lord is coming in our lifetime. Well, they both died. Did he come in their lifetime? No. So it still hasn't happened. Is that okay with me? You know, I look at it and say this. uh, You know, this is is my perspective. If he doesn't come in my lifetime, um, you know, but I believe he will. I believe he will. I do. I do. I do. I just see uh, things, how they're transpiring. I see revival starting to break out. I see things beginning to change in our culture in a suddenly moment. Things are happening fast, right? Um, and, but I believe that he's coming quicker than we can say. Uh, but I do know this. He may not come in my lifetime, but I do know this. Every minute we're getting closer and closer and closer. And, and I say this. You know what? I'm going to live with the expectation that he's coming in the next moment. The early church, think about that, those in the early church, you know. Uh, Paul, he talked about it. Uh, Peter, John, all of those guys, they they talked about the coming of the Lord. They looked up looking for the Lord to come. How about, you know, moving a little bit further on. And there's guys throughout history who believe this, and, and pastors, great, and I, this is just a small group. But, you know, Spurgeon, same thing. Moody, same thing. Graham, and many more who looked up in expectation of Christ's return. And I tell you what, I'm going to line up with those guys. Because there's fruit in what they did. And I believe that there's an urgency of the expectation when we begin to say, hey, Lord, the Lord's coming. I've got to make my house right. I've got to purify some things in my life. i got to get these hidden sins out of my life. I've got to be able to live a life that is holy because God has called me to live a holy life. Amen? And it's interesting. I'd line up with those guys rather than those who, who say, oh, the Lord's not coming today. I'd say, hey, come, 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 come quickly, Lord, right? Verse 4 says this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. All right. If you ever come across someone who says, "Well, grace will cover it," point them to this verse. Willfully sinning, sin is lawlessness. The King James version says "committeth" instead of uh, "makes a practice," and the Greek word for that in, in the present perfect tense that speaks of a continual action. That means that they're continuing to sin over. And over and over, and they're doing it willingly. And this doesn't mean that this deals with someone who falters or sin. How many know we all make mistakes? Every once in a while, every once in a while, we trip up, we make mistakes, and we fall or we struggle to a temptation. And that's, that's okay. But this is not what that's talking about. This is talking about the people that are willfully just sitting over and over and saying, oh, God's grace will get me. Uh, you know, and, 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 and John's kind of just punching that right in the face saying, hey, this, this is the way it's supposed to be. I remember when Wyatt was young and he played baseball, he used to go out. Uh, in the yard, and we had a net, and we had a tee, and I I would tell him be like I wouldn't have to tell him half the time, but he would go out there and he'd put balls on the tee, and he'd just hit there uh, ball after ball after ball. And why would he do that? So he would could get better and better and better, right? So too with us, you know. Here's what happens uh, to some people: they do this with sin. They they practice sin over and over and over and over. Come on, somebody. John's saying this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices, what, lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Look at this, verse 5, carrying on, moving on. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. That's why Jesus came, take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Ooh, come on, somebody. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And in, in, in the next three verses, chapter uh, in, in five, five through eight, and verse four of the next chapter, we it talks about this. So John, John will give us three reasons Jesus came. Okay, three reasons why Jesus came. Here in in verse five, the first one is simply this: to take away our sins. How many are glad that he came? Ha, <laughs> How many are glad that he came to take away our sins? Verse 7 says this, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So um, we need to remind those who claim to be believers, yet they're habitually or continually practicing sin in their life that a true believer Jesus came to take away their sins not give them a free ticket to sin in the beginning of this verse it says let no one deceive you on this so yeah god you know god is gracious god is just god forgives the sinner but god will also judge sin don't be don't be deceived by those who preach a, a message of greasy grace all right, I know this is I know this is pretty straight line tonight, but listen, I believe God is God is perfecting His church. He is getting us in a place. Listen, the Bible says, "Hey, be holy, for I am holy," is what it says in Peter. The Lord, the Lord, He's declaring that. Listen, we've got to get all things out of our lives. Are you saying, uh, Pastor? Are you saying that God isn't gracious? No, God is gracious, and God, God's grace frees us from sin but does not give us a right to sin. Okay? God's grace frees us from sin, but does not give us a right to sin. Look at this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to, what's it say? To do what? Come on, say it out loud. What? Destroy the the works of the who? Okay. He came to take care of my sins, and he came to what? Destroy the works of the devil. I like that. Uh, it, it says he appeared or he uh, manifested the the second reason he came was to destroy the works of the devil you know what Jesus did he came and he kicked the teeth out of the devil he does not have any more bite in in taking away our sin Jesus paid the price for our sin amen And it is destroying the works of the devil. He destroyed the power of sin. So, man, if you don't have teeth, you got no bite, right? I mean, can I get an amen from somebody who knows what I'm talking about in here? Amen, Pastor. Right? Got no. (laughs) Sorry. He destroyed the power of the enemy to, uh, to, to entangle us. in those things that, that, uh, comp- that we compromise, our ability to impact the world for the kingdom. See, what happens in our life is, hey, we, the, we, the, we think, man, I can't get vic- victory over this. Listen, Jesus gave you victory over that thing. Amen. All right, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of... John's swinging today. I I mean, look at this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Jesus came to take away our sins and to destroy the works of the devil. He who is truly born again does not practice sin. I'm not saying you can't mess up. You can't make a mistake, you know. But you're not willfully out there uh, doing it. So look at this. For God's seed abides in him. This is why. This is why. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, what, abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Say, Pastor, I don't know if I like this. Take it up with John. I'm the messenger. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, man, I'm just, I'm throwing the Bible at you. I'm throwing the seed at you tonight, all right? See, seed here could refer to one of two things, and, and it could be the life of Christ within the believer. You know, you, you need a reference, John chapter 1, verse 13, you can go back and look at that. Or the word of God, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it could be either or. Yeah, and you say, hey, pastor, which one is it? I believe it's both. I do. I believe it's both. I believe it's both. Uh, when the spirit of God comes within a man, and when the word of God stirs within him, he cannot continue continue to sin indefinitely. There should be a change, a transformation. I'm walking away. You know, when Jesus, you know, he he forgave sin, but he told people, "Hey, I forgive you of your sins, but turn and what sin no more." And he might, you know, here's the thing in our lives, we might struggle with sin from time to time we may get ensnared uh, by sin sometimes you know sometimes we just we're we're human we make bad decisions right and and that's why a christian involved in sin is is the most miserable person in the world let me tell you why right here I, I'm gonna tell you why it it's been said like this the person who is who is who is a christian who Uh, Who is involved in sin or a christian who calls himself a, a christian who's involved in sin it's been said like this He has too much of the lord to enjoy sin and too much of sin to enjoy the lord I really like that I don't know who said it, but they deserve credit for that. I like that The seed Whether it's the person of christ or the word of christ or both Does not allow a person to sin continually. I can tell you this you read this book right here. You'll learn hey I can live above the reproach of sin. I can be free from the reproach of sin. Verse 10 says this, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Hey, this is how we tell the children of God versus the children of the devil. All right, quiet in here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Take it up with John, don't take it up with me. Nor is this one who does not love his brother. So Christians display or they manifest their nature by, by practicing righteousness. You know what? Um, man, we ought, we ought to be good. We ought to do our best to, to be the best Christians that we can for the world to see, right? Nobody likes a hypocrite, right? Nobody likes a hypocrite, right? So, and it says this, children of the devil display their basic nature by sinning. How do you tell uh, uh, someone who's a believer and someone who's not? Are they sinning or are they not sinning, right? <laughs> Ooh, come on now. Uh, Christians who are sinning are not expressing their nature as the children of God, but instead following the devil's pattern. I didn't write it. John said it. Uh, when we are sinning, we, we are acting like the, the children of the devil, but when we are righteous, we are acting like the children of God. All right. If you're with me, say, I'm with you, Pastor. It's quiet. I know it's quiet. I know it's quiet right now, but I think you're getting this in your heart. Righteousness is not just the absence of continual sinning, but the presence of love. Okay? When I'm righteous, I have the presence of love. God is what? All right. Next next chapter says perfect love cast out fear, right? So we know that that God is love and we know a lot of things about love. I can't wait to get to next next week or I guess a few weeks for me, a couple weeks. Um but you know, righteousness is not just the absence of sin, but we should be moving in love in everything that we do as believers. I'm above the re- reproach of sin and I should be spreading the love of Jesus everywhere I go. Well, pastor, I'm not sure where I fall here. Well, if you're living righteous, you are a child of God. Amen. And if you're sinning, you are a child of the devil. Take it up with John. I didn't say it. All right. Look at this. Verse 11 says this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that, that we should love one another. I want to say love one another. All right. He uses a great example here. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. How many remember that story in the Old Testament? Cain and Abel, right? All right. So John points here to, to Cain as a picture of one who could not uh, claim to be a believer. And obviously I know he's from the Old Testament, but, but here he's he's showing us an example. For every New Testament principle, there's an Old Testament example, okay? So he's showing us something here. A child of the devil, while uh, Cain, Cain was, while Abel was uh, a child of God. So look at this. And why did he murder him? All right. I, I like this. He's, he, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. All right. This is a perfect picture of a child of God and a child of the devil right here. Uh, you know, some of you say, well, well," some of you may have your kids pictured in there. I don't know. But look at this. It, 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 he goes on. Uh, Hebrews tells us that Abel's sacrifice was offered to God in faith. Right? He gave his sacrifice in faith. Cain's, on the other hand, was was the word of his was the work of his own hands. Okay, was the fruit of his own energy. Come on, somebody, and therefore rejected. And when it was rejected, it produced bitterness. It produced jealousy so deep within Cain that it caused him to what? Kill his brother see I, I like this. we see Abel's gift was was by faith in God. Cain's was by his his hands or his works. This is a great example. It lines up with Ephesians 2 eight we're saved by grace right and not by our works. that's hey that's hey, that's how we're saved. It's faith in God, okay and, and I love I love that verse, but Cain, you know what he, he thought hey I can I can do this with my own hands here. And Cain murdered his brother in sheer jealousy. And I, I, I expect this kind of behavior in the world, right? We see it all the time, right? But unfortunately, I see the same type of behavior in the church. So, what do you mean, Pastor? You see people killing their brothers? Huh. Well, let me get to that. Our tendency is that uh, the more successful that we are sometimes, the more vulnerable we are to be like Cain. Right, comparison. All right, I'm gonna give you some I'm give you some examples. Sometimes our our heart is like 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 Cain. God's blessing so and so over here. I'm gonna make a snide remark about them. Come on. I'm gonna. Oh, here we go. I'm gonna post something on Facebook. I'm gonna post on somebody else's ministry. I'm going I'm to bad mouth them. Uh, hey, it's just a word or two, right? It's just a wink. It's just a chuckle. It's just a nod or a, a behavior concerning that brother or that sister or that person. But I know in my heart uh, what I'm doing. You know what? Do you we know what it says? The, the scripture tells us, you know what? We may be saying it with our mouth, but we may be assassinating their character. We may be actually murdering them. If you look into the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. That also means with your tongue. And everyone is an expert. <laughs> well, I'll give you a good example. Everyone's an expert on revival now. Right? Right? Come on. I know you guys look at Facebook. Everyone is an expert on revival now, right? Uh <laughs> And a few years ago, everyone was an expert on diagnosing the problem with the church, right? Oh, man, come on, pastor. I'm going to hide right here and hide behind this. You know what will stop all that jealousy and bitterness? Repentance. I may not understand everything, but I can understand my own nature and my own heart. I got a bad attitude. Fix me, Lord. I need that, right? Right. I, I tell you what, oh, here's a good, man, this is this is tweetable. This is, you know what, somebody needs to put this on social media. Imagine if we prayed about it as much as we posted about it. Right? Okay, I'm going to leave that one alone. All right, moving on, verse 13. And do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Um, even though you're called uh, uh, to love people, right? We're called to love people. You know, there are going to be times that when we begin to love on people, they're going to hate us, right? There's moments. You try to give someone love, and sometimes they they, they ain't having it, right? And you know, what do you do? You, just, you may just try to just continue to love on them. And here's the thing. Don't expect love in return when you're giving out love. Just don't expect it. And if it does come, hey, good job, great. If it doesn't, God bless you. And Christ said that they are not rejecting you. And I, I said this to our group when we went out m- witnessing up in Bloomington. I said, if you share the gospel and somebody just shuts you down, I said, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. Don't take it personal. They're making a bad decision at that moment. And so you, you, we have to know that. Jesus said that in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, ver, uh, Verse. 14 says this, we know that we have passed uh, out of death into life. Everyone say amen. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So one that exhibits or loves. Uh, for fellow believers is evidence that one has passed from death to life. You want to know how you've come from uh, 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 sin and death to life is this how you're treating your brothers in Christ, how you're posting about your brothers in Christ on oh, come on somebody right how you're taking time to love on them. Past is a is a past tense verb meaning something has happened that indicates an experience in the past, and has continuing and is abiding results in the present. What does that mean? What do you say, boy? That's a whole lot right there. When I got saved, guess what? It was in the past. But guess what? I'm still abiding and I'm still growing in the Lord currently. Amen. Because of that decision that I made, God is is pushing me and He is He is helping me. You know what? I it's hey, I'm pastor. It's not always easy to love everybody, right? I'm being real. Sometimes I don't want to love everybody. It just happens. I told you that story when I went to a particular restaurant up in Bloomington and was getting carryout food for a meeting that I had and I was I was in a hurry and I waited like an hour, 45 minutes for this food. And and I was I, I was and we called them and said, Hey, I'm out here waiting on my food. And they're like, Oh, well, we just started it. And I was like, Are you kidding me? And I was so frustrated and I waited and I waited and I was I wanted to, I would, hey, I was going to go give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to be honest with you, right? Come on, somebody. Don't act all holy like you guys don't do the same thing. And and I got out of the car, and I was walking inside, and I was I was ready to just let it loose. And, and the Holy Spirit said, look down at your shirt. I looked down, and it said, cornerstone. I turned around, got back in my car, sat down. And my wife said, what happened? And I said, the Holy Spirit got me, <laughs> right? Come on, somebody, right? We, we have to love one another. So what John is saying here is this. Those who have experienced Christ's salvation in the past should demonstrate their salvation by loving their fellow believers in the present. Mark Lynn, I love you, brother. Dustin, I love you. Yeah, all right? Everyone, find someone, point at them, say, "Hey, I love you." Come on, find somebody in this building, tell them. Come on. I, I like what, what James says. You know, faith without works is dead, right? I, I, I love that. And John gives us a perfect example of what uh, what should follow our lives after we believe. You know what? We ought to love. We ought to love. Hey, I've been transformed. I ought to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I ought to love as many people as I can. Right to the best of my ability. Verse, verse fifteen. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Woo, okay, all right, boy, that that took a real hard turn, didn't it? And, and you know uh, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John said in, in 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 chapter two, verse eleven, that those who do not love their brother or hate their brother. Are not living in the light, but in darkness, pretty straight and he's 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 basically taking that very point here they're not living uh in life, but they are living in death is is what verse fourteen of this chapter tells us and then and, and what they are doing is not of God but of the devils what verse eight tells us okay are you following me people who are sinning people It's particularly he's talking about Murderers or people with hate in their heart, and Jesus said, "Your heart, uh, 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 Jesus said, "Your heart." It, it said, "Of old that uh, that you're not to commit murder, but I say unto you, if you are angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder." That's not my words. That's in Matthew five, chapter twenty-one, twenty-two. That's Jesus. See, sometimes we may not do the physical act of murdering people, but sometimes. We're very angry with them, and hate comes in, and and we begin to say things, and we begin to gossip, and we begin to do things. And if I'm angry with someone, you know what Jesus is saying? Hey, I'm guilty of murder. If I'm overly angry, maybe I was close to murdering somebody at that restaurant up there. (laughs) I really wasn't, but I was pretty mad. Maybe I'm killing people with my comments and my cynicism. I don't even realize it. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That means that if I like death, I'll eat that, and it'll come out. And if I like life, I'll eat that, and that will come out. Some people are really good. At just talking, 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 death, 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 death. Some people are really good at speaking life, 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 right? I don't know about you. I want to be a person that speaks life into people's uh, lives. Amen. Verse 16 says this, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So um, what he's saying here is there's no reconciliation apart from death. We have no reconciliation with the Lord apart uh, from the Lord's death. For us to be reconciled or brought back into relationship with the Lord or harmony, if you want to go a step further to God, someone had to die, and guess what? It, it wasn't us. It was Jesus Christ. And God initiated the process of reconciliation, uh, Jesus did, by laying down his life, his own life. He, you know what? He said, they don't take my life. I give it. Now let's let's uh, uh, let's bring that down down to us here in our world or our situation. Let's make it apply to us. Um, the only way that there will be reconciliation between you and other people whom you have odds with, come on, somebody, all right, we're about to get down to where the rubber meets the road, uh, is or, or whom you feel tension with, is this? If someone dies, what do you mean? What do you mean, Pastor? I knew that I had the chance to go take him out. No, 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 that's not what I meant. It's not what I meant. Someone has to die. Well, it's going to be, you know, you say, well, someone's got to die. It's going to be them. It ain't going to be me, Pastor, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. Either you will lay down your life and quit trying to prove your point. Oh, man, come on, somebody. (laughs) Either you'll lay down your life and quit trying to prove your point, or the other person will be a bigger person and choose to do so. You know, there's been times in arguments that with, I'll just use me and Tristan for example, where maybe I was right, but my attitude wasn't right in proving that I was right. Right? And there's been times where I could have solved a lot of issues just by having a kind word and saying, it's okay. Let's not. Let's. This isn't worth fighting over. Come on, somebody. Right. So. So look at this. If you. If you want rec- reconciliation between a parent, between a child, between a friend, a spouse, an ex-spouse, the only way it can happen, is through death. Physically, no. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's. It's me laying down my life and saying, "Hey, you know what? I love this person enough that I. I will." Put my own self, my own desire down here to make things right, to show them love. Is that easy? Absolutely not. You want to know one of the most selfless things you can do? Apologize. Apologize. It's, it really is. It's one of the best things you can do. Um, it's, it's death to my will. It's death to my selfishness. It's death to my point of view, Right? I don't know, I've got, I've got a teenage boy and he's 16. I won't say his name, but you can figure out who he is. Man, sometimes he has to get the last word. He always has to get the last word. And I'm like, it's not important. You're just going to make me mad by keep trying to get the last word in, right? It's not important. Hey, hey let it die. Something uh, we all all should practice, amen? Here's the thing, no room for arguments, no room for fights, no room for disputes in the body of Christ, amen. We should be loving people to Christ and not worried about all these disputes. I know sometimes things happen, but you know what we ought to do when we have a dispute? We need to go to people, we need to talk to them, come on somebody and not talk to someone else about them. And you know what the Bible says, hey, if you have a problem with your brother and sister, it says, and you're at the altar, get up and go make it right and then come back to the altar and pray, I'll just leave that one alone right there. That's not even in my notes. All right. Thank you Holy Spirit. Verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love? How does God's love abide in him? I don't like that verse. You know why? Cuz it challenges my human nature. Verse 18. Little children. Oh, thanks John. Bring me home. Little children, he always says, little children, let us not love in, in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Amen. That's that's powerful. It, it's very easy to talk about loving someone, right? And it's easy to write about love and poetry and all kinds of things. But But John says this, don't just talk about it, do it. It's kind of like my wife. Babe, don't just talk about doing housework, do it. Babe, I'm going to help you. Well, stop talking about it and do it. Well, when I get around, stop. Just do it. You could have been done by now, right? Goods means um, course of life or or living or livelihood, things, materials or objects that sustain life. That's what that means. Food, clothing, shelter. Believers can lay down their lives for fellow believers or even unbelievers by giving some of their livelihood to those who are in need. Well, John's saying, hey, you got an extra coat? Give it away. I know I'm guilty. I've I've got probably several coats, right? But I could probably afford to get rid of a few coats. Somebody in need may need it. By by giving our goods or possessions to others, we can demonstrate the same type of sac- self sacrificial love that Christ demonstrated on the cross. Cease, can I talk? I'm, a, I'm a, Can I share something about you? I don't know. Well, I'm going to. Is that all right? Cease has been helping with Helping Hands Ministry up in Bloomington four days a week, right? And and she volunteers up there, and she's just got a burden for helping people, and and. And she's given every one of her coats away. She doesn't have any coat. She says, "I just got to walk from the car to the to the store and then back into my house." And that's a beautiful example of what what John is talking about here. And thank you for demonstrating. Now, now none of you would have ever known that if I hadn't said that. But thank you for demonstrating that and showing us and being a perfect example right here what John's telling us to do. Amen. Verse 19 says this, by this um, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before men. Verse 20, for when, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So um, here's the deal. How many know that our heart can condemn us? Condemnation in our heart. we can We can feel that. You know, our heart can, can physically kill us, right, with a heart attack, right? But our hearts can condemn us spiritually, too, if we allow them to. Uh, you know, not an actual, like, uh, let's say, a physical heart attack, but a spiritual heart attack. And, and it's bad. And I'm talking about the heart that condemns us. Jeremiah would say it like this in chapter 17, verse 9. He would say, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We can't even understand our own hearts. That's what, what Jeremiah is saying. But here's the good news. How many like good news? Don't worry about it. God is greater than your heart. God knows more uh, what's going on. He He knows more about you, uh, who you are, than your own heart could even know. That's crazy. That's awesome. That's beautiful, right? God truly understands your heart. Look at this. Verse 21. Beloved. If our heart does not uh, condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. So we have this confidence with God because we, we, we do what's pleasing in his sight. You know, why you know how you can have confidence in God? Walking in righteousness, doing what the word of God says, because guess what? Your heart is... When you're walking in righteousness, you're lining up with what his word says, and then you can pray things because you're praying not your will. You're praying what God's will is, and those things will, will happen. It's, it, this is beautiful. So what are pleasing things in his sight? You know, here's, here, here's a little bit of history for you. In the Old Testament, the Jews, they took, God gave them the Ten Commandments, and they took those Ten Commandments, and they multiplied them, and they turned them into 613 commandments. Did you know that? That's what they had to live by, 613 commandments. How many know that that's a lot of commandments? Many of you can't even quote the Ten Commandments right now, let alone 613 commandments in your life. You know, 365 of those commandments dealt with negative things, bad things. Hey, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. 248 of them dealt with things which were positive. And they were found in the Old Testament, but 613 commandments. Commandments. How many know that's a lot? That's heavy, right? As in the words of Marty McFly, that's heavy, right? Heavy. But it's interesting. You go a little bit further into Scripture. You look, and David would write this in in Psalms, and he would reduce that 613 down to 12. Look at this. I'm going to read this whole Psalm. Psalms 15. Um, Psalm 15. Verse 1 says this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Now listen, he gives a list of things. You ready? Here they go. He who, is, who walks blamelessly and does, does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil with his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does, uh, who does not put his money at interest and does not make a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things Shall never be moved. So, so David would write that. Okay, Psalm fifteen. So he he brings it from six hundred thirteen down to twelve. That's a little easier to understand. Well, I like it. A little bit further into to time, the prophet Micah would say this. in In Micah chapter six, verse eight, he said uh, this. He said, "He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and the and love." Kindness and to walk humbly with our God. So, so He brings it down to three. How many like that? It's getting a little bit easier, right? Uh, you know what? I did a whole sermon on this one time, and and it's I, I titled it. Bible for dummies, basically, literally. And I mean it in a mean way, right? have you seen those books, you know, for you know, those books that, that, that are like computer for dummies or whatever? That's that's how I titled that. I wasn't making fun of anybody, I promise. But look at this. Go a little bit further. Jesus comes onto the scene, and we have these three, right? Six six hundred and thirteen to twelve and three. And Jesus comes in, in Matthew chapter twenty-two, verse thirty-seven through forty and says, And he said to them, You shall what? Love the Lord God with all. Your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Everyone say that's one. Verse 38 This is the great and the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments de- uh, depend, or the law hangs, the law of the prophets all hang on these two things all 613 all 12 all three and this is what it comes down to loving the Lord God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself and I can't help but every time I hear that and I preach that think about this love God and love people that's it and you know what when we have this vertical relation right this horizontal relationship becomes right. And you know what? It 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 makes a cross. Man, isn't God good? Amen. So how do you have a sure heart, a free heart by by loving the Lord and his people? Not just in your words, and not just in your tongue, but in deed and in truth. Not just saying it, showing it. Don't tell me you're going to do housework, do the housework, right? <laughs> When I live up to my own expectations, I tend to say, hey, I'm not worthy, right? Anybody ever, you, you feel like you miss it sometimes, I, I'm a loser or whatever, you know, I, well, I can't ask the Lord for anything, but my, but my heart is condemning me, right, in those moments, and I find that I have this beautiful freedom in the Lord, and all he's telling me to do is, hey, love me with all your heart, and love people with all your heart. The Lord's perspective is 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 there the whole time, but I but I only recognize it when I when I'm free, when I'm free from the, from a heart that condemns me. Look at this verse twenty three. I promise. We're almost done. Everyone said Amen. And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another just as He has commanded us. They asked Jesus, um, "What must we do uh, uh, to do good works?" And Jesus answered them in this. And he said it in the singular work of God is that you believe on him who the Father hath sent. And that's in John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. Verse 24 Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. Everyone say abide, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit he has given us. So abide here means this there's a mutual indwelling. I dwell in the Lord, and he dwells in me. Amen. How many know that we are uh, the temple of the Lord? When we ask him, you know what, he's coming to dwell right here within us, the seat, our seat of emotion in our heart, we say. He is, he is dwelling there, right? And we can't allow any sin and things in because God likes a clean house, like my wife. God likes a clean house. The believer dwells in Christ by being, you know how we dwell in him? By being obedient to his commandments. Following his commandments. It's it's, it's plain and simple. And Jesus dwells in the believer as one who is at home with the believer. John 15 uh, spoke of this mutual abiding, right? He talks about the vine, right? And here's the key right here. The evidence of us abiding in Jesus is found in this. And the fruit of our lives. And we can look in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the spirit. And you know what it is? Love. Plain and simple. Amen. Bow your heads with me. And I'm going to ask.